Hello, listeners. Jay and Chris here of the most listened to, the most popular, the most talked about broadcast that I've ever created, the Justice Nerds podcast. Uh, This evening, we have a special treat for you. We are interviewing comic book legend Mr. J.M. DeMatteis. Uh, we, uh, we've had him on the show before. We've had the pleasure of interviewing him before. Just a little background uh, on, on this uh, gentleman because his, his uh, reputation really uh, really does speak for itself. But uh, he has written uh, for almost all of the, uh, the, the major comic book companies, DC and Marvel. Uh, he is associated with the, the critically acclaimed runs on Justice League International and, of course, uh, a story very near and dear to my heart, uh, Spider-Man's uh, the epic Craven Last Hunt. Just a fantastic work. As I've, I've said it before, uh, Mr. DiMatteis, you are one of the, the dreamer of dreams. You are one of the, the music makers, to, uh, to quote Gene Wilder from Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Uh, <laughs> Please uh, help us in welcoming Mr. J.M. DeMatteis. Yeah! Thank you so much for coming on with us. <laughs> well, I can't, I can't top that, so I'm going to hang up now. Oh, all right. <laughs> that Excellent. Was, that was great. <laughs> and that's a wrap. Good interview. All right. Awesome. <laughs> that would be great. We really should do that. That would be very <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, uh, of course, we're, we're here to talk about Constantine City of Demons, and I, I threw oh. you a little bit of a curveball before the, the interview. I, I, I just I couldn't pass on this. And, uh, and sometimes, uh, Chris, you know how when you have a, a, a beloved story that you've read yeah. and you don't always realize that, that a particular author was, the, you know, a particular writer was, right. was associated with that yeah. work. And, and this kind of happened prior to this interview. Uh, when I, I realized that, that that JM had written not one but two of my my favorite crossover stories, oh, uh, and th- this was the uh, the Batman Spider Man crossovers, um, Disordered Minds, and I'm I'm sorry, JM, I'm blanking on the name of the other one, but it was uh, I believe it was the later it, it was the later crossover involving Ra's al Ghul. Uh, right, and right. The, one the was King for Marvel, one was for DC, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the second one was called New Age Dawning. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. And I'm amazed that I remember that. I was just about to say, you were just just saying to yourself how you have a bad memory, and uh, you're doing pretty good. And, of course, I'm talking about, yeah, this is one of my favorite stories that I can't remember the name of right <laughs> I now. The, well, but, but what comic book nerd... Isn't that, though? You know, it's the story when this happens and that. We don't know the title sometimes, but we know what the story is, with so the, we're good the, there. The thing with the thing with the you thing, know, with the you guy. know. <laughs> with the guy, yeah. Right, and for me, it's like, well, I've written hundreds and hundreds of these things, so that I could retrieve that title is pretty good. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that. that. That you can remember, sir, is this the... So was this the first time where you were writing a crossover between Marvel and DC characters? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. And that was really the fun of it, because I think we did the Marvel one first. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we did. And then some time passed, and DC called me up to do the DC one. I think I may be the only person that's ever done that particular trick. Where I, you know, I did, did uh, Spider-Man, Batman, Batman, Spider-Man for DC. Oh, that's awesome. Which, you know, and at the time, I was like, oh, sure, I'll do that, and it's, a, it's another fun gig. But now I look back, and I think, pretty cool <laughs> yeah well yeah. It, it's funny because you've gotten to write you know you'd written both characters in in two very influential runs i, I mentioned them at the beginning of your intro right. uh craven's right. last hunt and then and then uh jlau uh and it, it's, you have these two characters that are both uh 
just so in in some ways very certainly very similar but very different is did you is that part of what you enjoyed about writing this story uh or or was it something else yeah, absolutely, because what, why do you want to write the story? Because you love those characters, then you have a chance to mix them up, and especially when you have two really, really iconic characters. Uh, in a lot of ways, uh, the characters that most represent uh, their individual companies. Yeah. Uh, Superman, Superman is the icon of icons, certainly, but many, many people, if not most people, think of Batman first when you think of DC, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and think of Spider-Man when you think of Marvel. So to put them together, and their personalities in a lot of ways, at least outwardly, could not be more different. Yes. You know, Spider-Man, the, the, the wise-cracking, allegedly, on the surface anyway, happy-go-lucky guy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Batman, who is, who is the embodiment of Grimm. Yes. And of course, both those characters are so much more than either of those descriptions, and that's the fun when you get to rub them uh, together like that, like two sticks, and create that unique fire uh, between them. So, uh, and one of the things I know, remember that we did in the first story was sort of find the places where their lives were similar because they were both defined by tragedy. Yes, right. And show the places where they grew in very different directions. Uh, you know, Bruce Wayne had that tragedy of losing his parents, and yes, he had Alfred, but that wasn't the same as Peter losing Uncle Ben and having Aunt May there, uh, or having all those years before when he had Uncle Ben there as well, that having that grounding in that family, in that love, in a way that, uh, that Bruce Wayne didn't. And, and there were, you know, we, we addressed a, a lot of those things. So we got to see that, that they are more alike than we realize and, and still very, very different. And I think that's why they sort of, in the beginning at least, rub each other the wrong way and yet really, really come to, to like and respect each other by the end. And, and if, I, if I could pay you a compliment, just to gush for a moment, there is a... Uh, a moment from I believe it was from the DC crossover, the uh, what, what uh, new New World Order, um, that New Age Dawning. New Age Dawning. Yeah, thank guy. you. Uh, <laughs> right, write it down. Um, that that for me, I think was uh, really kind of captured. You you manage. You know, there's some moments where in one panel or on one page, you kind of distill. Um, the message of the book or the, the contrast between the two characters. And it's a moment, Chris, where I'll, I'll set it up there. So they're in the, they're looking for Ra's al Ghul's hideout right. and they're in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment where Spider-Man is, so he's climbing up the wall and Batman's just sort of hugging him, sort of like just has his arms around him. Right. And Batman's like, is this completely necessary? <laughs> and and Spider-Man, I, I love the way you wrote this. I, I, this is why it's such a treat for me to compliment you on this. Is uh, Spider-Man's like, look, climbing is my thing. If I if I want to scare the hell out of someone, I'll I'll talk to you. That's funny. And, and that was uh, that. I thought that was such a great moment, and I I love the way that uh, that you wrote that. Well, that's great. I don't even remember that at all, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, good job. Absolutely. Yes, good good, good job. Um, yeah, I have to say there was one thing in that story that got uh, got confused in the coloring, which probably no one even noticed. But there's a transitional sequence, and this part I remember very well. Uh, you have uh, the Kingpin and his wife, and if I remember correctly, his wife was dying in the story. Mm-hmm. And, and Kingpin uh, kisses Vanessa in a close-up. And then we cut to a close-up of Peter kissing Mary Jane, and then we pull wide to, uh, to see where Peter and Mary Jane are to, are to establish them. But what happened in the coloring was that the close-up of Peter and Mary Jane 
got colored as if it was Kingpin and Vanessa. Oh, that's funny. So my beautiful cinematic transition, you know, from close-up to close-up to pull-back, uh, got completely screwed up, and uh, I'm probably the only one who noticed or cared. I, I'm, that's the one little <laughs> pebble in my shoe that that I've that stayed with me. Uh, oh, great! So story. the one comic that's that's kind of irked him, you brought. <laughs> I it brought up. up. Nice oh, job. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, well, I mean, it, it didn't affect the story in a broader sense. No, but you know, no. it, 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 when you know, it's, you see a story very differently when it's a story that you've created. You're looking at every little detail or as a reader you're taking in the totality of the story sure you know and i'll I'll notice every little every little speck on the lens you know what i mean you you know every inch of the story right yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for taking that little trip yeah. down memory lane with us for, okay. for, for, right. for a moment. Uh, Let's now, talk about now, why we are here. The real reason that, that we're here. So um, you, there's a new movie out, new DC animated yeah. movie. And, and first of all, uh, DC animation has just been crushing that it. is one thing dc knows how to do i will say is animation you guys have just been destroying D- do- dominating it absolutely um and this is a, so this is uh, about constantine so for those of our listeners john that aren't aren't, aren't aren't familiar yeah. john john constantine who's sort of the uh, rock and roll uh, uh brit uh, uh dark dark demonologist de- demonologist yeah. and detective of the of the occult uh, and this is this is the the latest DC movie that uh, Mr. Dimitrius uh, has uh, you know uh, blessed us brought if you us, if you yeah. will brought, brought brought to us, and so I I would like to know my my first question with this well first of all this is uh, based off of uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong but this is originally started as a web series correct yeah yeah in, in terms of what the audience is seeing yes I'll I'll I'll, I'll break it down for you because I wrote it as. But the CW Network has a streaming uh, outlet called the CWC that you can watch on your Roku, you can watch on your Apple TV or on your computer. And what they've done several times, they did it um, with Vixen and Freedom Fighters, right. Ray. Yeah. Um, they do these little five, six-minute mini-episodes. Uh, they break them up into two seasons, and then they tell one entire story. And then what, what they did with the previous ones was then they collected those together, added extra material, and made it into a full-length feature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the difference this time around was they realized that doing it that way was really awkward and difficult. You know, to have pre-existing material and then have to write more material and animate more material to connect the different chapters. So what we did here was I wrote a 90-minute feature. Mm. And then we got together and we bounced it around, and, and ultimately they decided what they would pull out for the five-minute episode. Okay. So, they will be a minute movie, uh, which includes material that will never ever be on CWC. You can mm. only get it on the DVD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this is the whole story. And then I think probably somewhere some months down the line you will get season two on CWC, which will complete the story that was begun on the seed. But there's still material that you can only get on the DVD. Now, so also, if you're, com- if you're a completist, you want the DVD. If you're a casual watcher or you don't want to pay any money. You'll uh, you'll watch it on CWC, and ultimately you'll get three quarters of the story, but not all of it. Gotcha. Now, also too, with DC releasing their um, online, uh, do you think Constantine's going to move over there, or is the contract with CW? Uh, I say that again. Sir. So, I don't understand what you're asking. So DC, well, you said the second series. So my my question is: is uh, are they going to keep oh, it where the it's DC, at? The DC app. Yeah, mean. the new the new DC well, app the and sec- channel. The second season of this will definitely be on CWC. Okay, awesome. And maybe it will ultimately 
you know, a year down the line or something, and I'm just guessing that it will ultimately migrate to the DC right, app, providing right. the DC app is there in a year or two. You know, um, so but 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 you know, the, I know that the the final episodes, whatever it'll be, the next six episodes will be on CW Seed, and I I, I don't know when that will be. Right. Yeah. No, no. But you can see it all now. You just buy the DVD. <laughs> all right. And, and it's also out there for streaming as well. I, I just happened to notice the other day that uh, you can get it on Amazon, which means it's on other streaming platforms. Google Play. Well. Go, yeah. yeah. Google Play was actually how I had uh, how I had watched it. Yeah. Um, oh, great. In preparation great. for this, but can you tell? So I was looking through your bibliography, and I I, re, I yeah. couldn't find any any moments when you had written Constantine before. Now, uh, uh, am I mistaken, or is this your? Yes, you're mistaken. I'm mistaken. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> you can't remember the title of the story. You got. To, I'm sorry. I, no. I am a. I am a failure as a fan, sir. I wrote the Justice League Dark. Com- I didn't write uh, the. Right. The that's right. You did do Justice League. I wrote the League Justice League Dark, Dark comic. That's book right. For, I think a year and a half, somewhere between a year and a half and two years. Okay. So All there's right. that. So 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 and, and that you know that that was really helpful for me because. Sometimes when you jump in cold with a character, there's a real learning curve. Having written the character in Justice League Dark, uh, it it made me familiar with the character. Um, these characters, as I've said before, they become very real mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to me as a writer. They, they 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 stop being characters. They stop being people. So it was like I already had a relationship with John, and now this was an opportunity to deepen that relationship and get to know him better. Now, with that in mind, like how how do you see John? Like, you know, like you said, with your relationship and whatnot, like, how how do you see him versus, like, maybe how anybody else could see him? Right. Well, yeah, I know some people see the character just basically, oh, Constantine's a manipulative bastard, and he's this and he's that, and he has no redeeming qualities or bubble. I, I, I don't see the character that way. First of all, I don't think there's, there's very few people in, on the world that are so twisted and so sociopathic that they don't have other elements to themselves. Mm-hmm. But the thing with Constantine, especially what you see in this story, First of all, you know, the grounding of this story is his, is his friendship and relationship with Chaz, which is really, really important to the character, really, really important to our story. We really dip into their childhood together, and the whole main story, of course, is John trying to help Chaz uh, retrieve his daughter who's been taken uh, by a demon. Mm-hmm. So so that humanizes constantly right, right off the bat. The elements of his personality are certainly there, yes. He is a manipulative bastard. He sometimes does terrible things. But even there, he is usually and ultimately doing it in service to the greater good. He's not serving the devil. Right. He is serving the light. And even if he's doing it using the devil's uh, toolkit to do it, he's ultimately serving the light. And that's, to me, what makes him an interesting character. You, when you've got that kind of push-pull inside of character, when you have the really sort of dark, demented side of the character, and yet this urge to do good, when you see someone who seems to be a total bastard, but loves his best friend and would go to the ends of the earth and risk his own life a hundred times over for that friend, that's what makes the character interesting, because nobody, you know, nobody from uh, Hitler to St. Teresa, nobody is one-dimensional. Right, right. Everybody has other layers and levels going on in there, and some people skew more one way, and some people skew more the, more the other, but most of us... You know, I have all these different shades uh, inside us, and that's what's interesting for me as a writer, is to explore that. You don't want to write a character that's all good, nor do you want to write a villain who's all bad and just twirling his mustache. Right, exactly. It's not interesting. Yeah. But 
Constantine is a really interesting character because he's so filled with contradictions. Yeah, the thing that I've always liked about Constantine is like what he portrays on the outside isn't necessarily what what is going on on the inside. You can always sometimes read that or see that. And for me, it's like, yeah, he's sarcastic and he's, you know, he's in charge and stuff like that. But like deep down, I, I've always found him kind of like a sorrowful character. You know? He's motivated a lot by by guilt, which is something I don't think I ever really appreciated about him as a character until I really saw this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. What happened in Newcastle is yeah. the defining moment of his life. He is an arrogant young punk, literally a punk. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, right, at least, at least, right, at, right. at least in the comics, you know, if he was as old as he is in the comics, he'd be a grandfather now. <laughs> you know, one of the things, if you look at the graphic novel shade was, you know, we don't really want Grandpa Chaz and Grandpa Constantine going on an adventure. <laughs> that we, you know, so we made it Chaz's daughter, which I think has more uh, immediacy. Yeah, but the yeah. thing that happened in Newcastle years before, and I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to give away certain plot uh, points sure, in the sure. movie for people that haven't seen it. But you know, he tried to start another child at that point, and his, and in his arrogance just made things worse. And he is really trying to, aside from helping his friend, he's really trying to redeem himself here by uh, rescuing Trish. And, and that's what I found. It, it, is, a, it is a great tale of, of redemption. Uh, amidst a, uh, admittedly, this, this is a, I don't know, would you uh, take issue with the characterization of this film being a, a horror film, or would you call it more oh. s- fantasy horror, or...? Yeah, you know, I mean, all horror is fantasy, isn't it? So, I, I, yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely a horror film. And, and, and however much horror I put into the script, the animators took that and ran with it. They really, they really uh, pushed it to the edge and beyond. And so, that, you know, this movie has an R rating, and it's not for the kids in any way, shape, or form. But, uh, you know, it, it all serves the story. This is not just a horror fest. It's not just a blood fest. Uh, it's really a story at its core, a story of character, and it's a really powerful emotional arc for John, and it's a powerful emotional arc uh, for Chaz, and you really see by the end of the story, which you've seen it, so you know what happens at the end. Now, um, it's, it's it's really got an emotional twist at the end that that's like putting a corkscrew through uh, your heart and John's heart. And that's as much as I'll say about that. Right. Now, now, as a writer, are you told at the beginning, when you're asked to, to pen something like this, that the story is going to be R-rated, and... And follow-up question to that: Do you do you find that writing an R rating gives you more leeway? Do you do you find, like, for example, if you had to write a, a PG thirteen story, do you find that more restrictive on your storytelling? Well, you know, what's interesting is that no one told me this was going to be an R rated feature. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know. But what I did know is they they said what we want to use as the foundation for our story is this Mike Carey Leonardo Manco graphic novel called All His Engines, which is you know, it's pure, clear, uh, vertigo Constantine. It's not right. it's not cleaned up, it's not the, the NBC T V show, it's right. not it's not prime time uh at eight PM Constantine. Mm-hmm. It's it's Constantine as we know him from the Vertigo comics. So that's how I wrote it. And we took that graphic novel and as I said, that was really the foundation. It's a great solid foundation. If you're a Constantine fan and you haven't read I get it immediately. But then we built we built on that foundation. We built a whole other building on top of that foundation. So there are elements that we brought in from other Constantine stories. There are elements that I created for this story. There are couple that I pulled in from my Justice League Dark stories. So kind of used that foundation and built a whole new building there. So I was just following what was established in that graphic novel and just writing a Constantine story and trying to be true to Constantine. 
No one ever said you can just go this far or go as far as you want or anything like that. I was more interested in what was what worked for the character within within the Constantine world that we're used to. And it was only, really, it was only when I saw the movie was coming out that I saw that it was rated R. I didn't know. But I also knew that I was free to put in whatever I wanted. And if, you, know, you always know that it's better to go too far and have someone to say, pull it back, than hold yourself back. Well, and it's funny that you, you would perfectly tee up my next question, which was, I, I was curious. This is a, 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 a very, this movie has some pretty gory moments. Yeah. And I say that, you know, as, as a fan, I, I, and I enjoy that in, in some of my horror. I was wondering, was there anything that you, you pitched in the script that, that DC Animation said, oh, no, I don't, I don't know if we can put that in there, uh, or, or did was it pretty much just free reign? It was pretty much. There might have been a couple of elements. I think there was. Um, they wanted to see. I don't want to. Talk, I can't talk about it. Oh, okay. right, right. No, we understand. You know sure, I mean? sure, were, sure. There were one or two little things, and it really wasn't about the horror thing. It was just certain suggestions uh, that 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 seemed a little too creepy. And I, that's about all I can say. All right. It's really only one or two things, and they were not major, and it was nothing that affected my writing in any big way or affected the story in any big way. They were just they were just minor adjustments. I have to say also, a lot of times you work on these on these things, I don't just mean these DC, DC things, you know, I've written a lot of other television and just writing in general. You, you, there's always someone there who's giving you notes about things. And sometimes you get the notes and you're like, well, I don't know about that. And you, you find a way to make them work, but you kind of grit your teeth to, grit your teeth to make them work. This was one of those projects where the notes were fantastic because the notes were almost always, let's go deeper with the characters. Let's make the story matter to them even more. Let, you know, And that's what I want to hear because that's what I like. I like to be able to peel the characters' heads back and really get into their psychology and their emotions. So the notes were, were really great, and they weren't like, on page seven, change this word to that or anything like that. This was really about just making the story deeper and truer and more meaningful uh, of a journey for John. So the, the it was this... Sometimes you work on a project and the creative process might not be that much fun, but you get a really great piece of work at the end. Other times you have a creative process that's really great, and then the piece of work at the end of the process is like, oh, I'm not, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. was one of those projects, and it's rare that it happens, where the whole creative process, everyone I worked with, it was really a delight from beginning to end. And then they finish it, and the movie's done. And it's really good, and I'm really proud of it. So the everything about this project uh, was was really, really uh, a wonderful experience for me. It's one of those moments. It sounds like where you really say, "Wow, you know, I, I get paid to do this. This is it, right. It, yeah, wow." And also, you know, in comics, there's a lot more freedom in comics for the mm-hmm. writer to just to to just do what he or she wants to do. Once you're working in television, and I understand that, and I actually enjoy it because I like the collaboration. But you're dealing with a lot more people with a lot more opinions. So I have mm-hmm. to take off my I am the writer and this is my vision hat and put on my other hat that says I'm part of a team. Right. right. And once I do that, it's fine and it's fun. And it's a whole different way of creating and I really, really enjoy it. But sometimes it puts you in a position where you're really having to work with ideas or concepts that maybe go against your instincts uh, storytelling-wise. And then, but that's a challenge, and it's fun, and you work with it, and you find the solutions, and it's like putting a puzzle together. But, but this one, I don't think there was a single note, and I've had a few project, projects like that where uh, I, there wasn't a single note that I went, oh, I don't like that. I really thought whatever they had to say was so valuable, 
and uh, and it just helped me uh, write a better story. And they weren't sitting on my shoulder staring at me the whole time either. They they gave me the freedom to tell the story in my way. They just gave me really interesting notes to help make it better. Excellent, excellent. Well, what do you think uh, were some of the horror influences that that maybe you, I I don't want to say drew from, but, uh, you know, we all... Uh, you know, growing up kind of during our formative years, uh, those of us that uh, have kind of uh, creative passions, uh, you know, for, for me, uh, it was uh, uh, Toby Hooper's uh, uh, Poltergeist. And, uh, the, you know, that, that moment when the clown uh, grabs the grabs the kid, spoiler alert, uh, if anything, if, if you could, I'm interested to know what, what were some of your formative uh, influences in the genre of horror? You know, what's interesting for me is that when I think of growing up, I don't, I was never a huge horror fan. I loved the Twilight Zone. Mm. That was, that was one of the greatest influences on my young brain. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, you know, uh, but, but I don't think of the Twilight Zone as horror. It's sort of, uh, it's supernatural, a supernatural thriller. It's uh, mind-bending, it's reality-bending, but it's not in-your-face horror. In fact, Twilight Zone often went the exact opposite way. It was, if it was horror, it was a very understated, subtle kind of horror. Mm-hmm. Maybe because mm-hmm. they didn't have the budget to do anything else, but right. it worked to their advantage. Right. You know, the shadow on the wall was much scarier than actually seeing a monster in your face. Yeah. Right. And I, and and when I give my druthers, that that that's really what I prefer. So if I think about horror stuff growing up, I mean, I remember reading and loving uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, uh, that was probably that the first actual my... horror novel that I'd ever read. That was that was, was mine as well. I was amazed at how good it was, because you think, oh, Dracula is going to be some cheesy thing. It was really a great book. Yeah, I remember reading that at night and being freaked out. Like, I remember, like, I have to read this during the day. Yeah, yeah. And and growing up, certainly, you know, those those classic, for me in my era, those classic universal horror movies were always on TV. Same, Frank and Dracula and the Wolfman. and I have to say, if I had to pick my favorite horror movie, it's probably Abbott and Costello and Me Frank. <gasps> we just yes! watched that. I just watched that last week. Oh, yes, sir. It's oh. really the greatest horror comedy ever made as far as I'm concerned, you know? No, I um, agree. And then, uh, and then I would, in the 70s, I was a big Stephen King fan. I read a lot of, oh, a lot yeah. of Stephen King. There was a period where I just devoured Stephen King. Uh, but that was unusual because it wasn't like I, then I ran, ran out and read tons of other horror writers because I, I didn't. It was not my – I was much more into science fiction and fantasy and that sort of Ray Bradbury, Rod Serling, um, Harlan Ellison kind of uh, mm-hmm. real world where, the, where, where a, a strange twisted reality pokes into your life and suddenly shifts reality or Philip K. Dick with his science fiction mind-bending stuff. That's more my forte. Okay. But what happened was when I first got into comics – the way you broke in was writing for the DC anthology comics, House of Mystery, House of Secrets, Weird War Tales, and on and on and on. And they were all, if, although they weren't allowed to call them horror because of the comics code in those yeah. days, they were all horror comics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I found myself writing, you know, dozens of of monsters and werewolves and Frankenstein's and creating the creature commandos and and I vampire and so I I really got even more immersed in horror as a writer than I was as a reader. Mm. And then when I went to, to, to Marvel and I took over the Defenders, I basically tur- I turned that into Justice League Dark, really, before there was a Justice League yeah. Dark. Mm. It became, uh, a, 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 for, for lack of a better phrase, a dark fantasy uh, superhero team as opposed to a standard superhero adventure team. Right. It had, it had uh, horror and dark fantasy elements in it. 
so I and what I discovered was that a I liked the genre as a writer, mm-hmm. and b I was pretty good at it. And and even though I feel like it's not my first instinct, whenever I have an opportunity to do it, like it, it almost like stuns me how deep and dark and twisted I can go when given the opportunity. It, it, you know? It's 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 funny, yeah. It it, it really uh, sort of letting uh, <laughs> letting the the inner kind the of inner, id yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And on yeah. that on that note, just uh, sort of without without giving uh, any spoilers or anything away, I will just offer this comment, and hopefully it's not really a question, just more of a comment. And my hope is people hearing this comment, it will pique more of their curiosity if they weren't already curious to see. Constantine, and I will just say this: the pig butler was creepy as hell. <laughs> if I remember correctly, I think I just cooked the pig butler up. I don't think the pig butler was in the graphic novel. Yeah, well, uh, I think. <laughs> well, good job. Now he, he can't he, sleep. He haunts my yes, he haunts my dreams, sir. And I just wanted to let let you know about that. So <laughs> and, and 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 I gave him dialogue straight out of Dracula. He said, enter freely and of your own free will. Oh, right oh my God. I didn't eat. Oh, I completely missed that. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, yeah, well, they gave him a great voice, too. I mean, they got to do the, the voice of, uh, of the pig butler. <laughs> Her, yes, yes. I have to say also, all the voice acting in this was really, really good. Again, because this is not just a big horror fest. There's a lot of really subtle character work in here. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we all know Matt Ryan is just Constantine come to life and, and brilliant. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, Damien O'Hara is Chaz and everybody else. Uh, the, the I forget the name of the actress who played Chaz's wife. Uh, so many wonderful, wonderful actors uh, in this. And they all did a great, great job. And these aren't, these aren't great uh, perform- performances for a cartoon. These are just great performances. Yeah. They really, really yeah. all did a wonderful job. In particular, the the actor that uh, voice actor uh, the voice of the the demon in the in the movie. Oh my goodness! This this very just rich, uh, almost sort of like uh, buttery voice, for lack of a better word. Yeah, that uh, was voiced by uh, Jim Meskimen. Vi- villainous, yeah. mm-hmm. just wonderfully villainous. So I I, I just have to con- concur with you. And as a writer, it must be such a delight seeing your words be brought to life in this way by, by such a talented group. Oh, it is. It really, really is. Uh, it's fantastic. And you talk about the guy that played Barul, you know, they, we were discussing, well, what, what's, the, what's the tone that, that they were discussing the casting? And I kept thinking it's a Hollywood story. And I kept thinking, you talk about those tones, I kept thinking about Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to his performance, yeah. there's, he puts just enough Orson Welles into it, because no one could use his voice uh, better uh, than Orson Welles, you know, obviously he started on the radio, so he knew exactly how to play to a microphone, and he brings that sort of rich, a slightly arrogant, and yet sophisticated and slightly menacing thing that Welles could do, and he's he's, he's just amazing, really amazing. Fantastic. Well, uh, a- a- as as always, uh, we're gonna uh, All right, pose so the, the question time, to you. <laughs> yeah, the last time that we talked, you said oh, that you. Had... Before I forget, oh, I have to yes. mention Rachel Kimsey, who played a character. That I don't know if I should mention if no one has seen it, but we yeah, Alex the camera. There's a character in here that's that is the embodiment of the city, and that's all I'll say. And it's a difficult yeah. thing to play the embodiment of the city. And she did a beautiful job. And we actually just met her at New York Comic Con a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that's she was awesome. There with Amy O'Hare. And a really, really nice person, and and another really wonderful actress. I will second uh, that. Yes, uh, as, as yeah. someone who has seen the movie, fantastic voice of the city. Okay. Yeah. 
So the last time we talked, you said that you had a bunch of top secret stuff that you couldn't talk about. So we were wondering, uh, what can you tell us about some upcoming projects? Do you have anything that you can talk about? I suspect one of them was probably Constantine, so we got that covered. (laughs) Bingo! Yeah! (laughs) And I have, like, a ton of other animated stuff, and I can't talk about any of it. (laughs) Um, I do have have a couple. I had had an episode earlier this year uh, for the Marvel Spider-Man animated show. Okay. Uh, oh, that's nice. On Disney XT, and I've got two more episodes coming up when they whenever they roll out their next season, and that's been a really really fun show to write for. Really, uh, very different than the Spider-Man that I know, but but it's still Peter Parker, and it was it was really really fun and really great people working for the show. So it was also another one of those situations where the creative process working with the people was 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 great great fun. But I've got I think four other Warner Brothers animated projects in various stages of completion. All of which relate to DC characters, none of which I can talk about. So there's that. <laughs> and, so you're um, busy, is what you're saying? Yeah, and right now from IDW, I have a creator-owned series that that uh, I'm really, really happy with called Impossible Incorporated. Uh, the first two issues are out now. It's a five-issue miniseries, and if that does well, we will do another after that, and another after that. And uh, I did it with my friend Mike Cavallaro, who also illustrated one of my favorite projects ever, The Life and Times of Savior 28. And this is sort of a big, cosmic uh, Doctor Who meets Fantastic Four meets Doc Savage kind of... Uh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm down. Meets, meets, ...meets quantum physics, meets mind-bending Philip K. Dick adventure, uh, with, with, with a, with, led by a 17-year-old uh, genius named Number Horowitz. R- right so in your know. wheelhouse. That's right yeah, in your, your yeah, sci-fi yeah. wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Really a lot of fun. We, we're having such a great time with it, and I get to, I get to unleash my inner Kirby and my inner Philip K. Dick and all that part of me that just loves the metaphysical uh, side of, of the universe and play with all those big ideas and yet grounded in what I hope are some really, really fun, believable characters. So that's out now. I got a project coming out in February uh, from Burger Books. My old friend Karen Berger has a new imprint, The Dark Horse, and it's called The Girl in the Bay. We just announced it at New York Comic Con. Maybe I'll come back in February and we can talk about it in oh, more detail. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, but another one, I haven't, Karen and Karen's one of my oldest and dearest friends on the planet, and we haven't worked together in, in quite a while. So to work with Karen again and work on this project that is uh, very exciting, it's, it's, it's much more in line with the things that I've done for Vertigo in the past. It's, it's, it, or more in line with Constantine, although not quite as dark and twisted, but it is a mm. dark, uh, dark, metaphysical, supernatural, really interesting story about a, a girl, it starts in 1969, a teenage girl who, finds herself murdered and thrown into Sheepshead Bay in Brooklyn, uh, mm. manages to get herself back to the surface, staggers out uh, of the bay, goes across the street to the bar where her evening started, and discovers that somehow it's 50 years later. And in that 50 years, someone else has been living out her life, so there's a 68-year-old version of her out there somewhere. Oh, that's crazy. Living her life. And from that, we jump off into a whole strange and sometimes a supernatural, sometimes horrific, sometimes metaphysical mystery. Talk about Twilight Zone. Well, yeah, esque sort of premise. Well, yeah, I, I'm yeah. sorry, the name of the, the book again, please? The book is called The Girl in the Bay. The Girl in the Bay. All right. Yep. Fantastic. And Keith Kiffin and I are still writing on Scooby Apocalypse for DC. We're in our third year on that one and having fun with that. We People just, are loving uh, that. Yeah, and we just started a, a new backup. We're done with Secret Squirrel. Now we're doing Adam Ant, and it's really silly and it's oh, really that's fun. Cool. Oh, terrific! Terri- it's cool. a great, it's a, it's a great story about Adam Ant uh, trying trying out to get into the Justice League. So it's Adam Ant <laughs> and Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, and it's really fun. Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> that sounds great.
That sounds great. Yeah. Well, well th- uh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, as, as we've so said much. before, uh, we could we could talk or or not talk with you uh, about things that you can and cannot talk about uh, all, all day, uh, and and never get bored. So, <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, if I come back in February, some of the things that I can't talk about now, I'll be able to talk about them. That'd be great. A- absolutely. The uh, consider this a standing invitation from the Justice Nerds podcast. That's great. Well, it's good to talk to you guys. Good to talk to you as well. This has been Chris and Jay with the Just Us Nerds podcast talking with Mr. J.M. Demetrius. Make sure that you get out to your local... Uh, man, they don't even have blockbusters anymore. Go get out to Redbox. Get, get or, out to your get out to your Redbox. Yeah. Get out to your Google Play. Get out to your iTunes. Pick up a copy of uh, Constantine: City of Demons. This is a fantastic movie, just in time for Halloween. I can't think of a better way to celebrate Halloween than sitting around and, and watch this this masterpiece spun by one of the comic book masters. This has been Chris and Jay with JM. Thank you very much. Have a great night. <laughs>